Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every sassy droid, person of faith, extremist splinter faction, and galaxy far, far away is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Michael. And I'm Mandy. And today we're talking about Rogue One, and I think it's officially Rogue One colon a Star Wars story. Is that is that yeah, what this I is mean, titled? I, but that's not what they said in the movie. In the movie, it just said Rogue One. That's true. That's true. We'll go with that. And then, you know, we know that if history follows, then in like eight years or so, they will add some kind of subtitle or after name or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 3.8. <laughs> I was actually kind of surprised that they didn't do like I've been I feel like they have this uh this logo that's like Star Wars anthology and it says Rogue One in the middle and I was kind of really surprised that that wasn't how they titled the movie with that Star Wars anthology like logo um but they didn't they just said Rogue One not even Star Wars it just said Rogue One what other significant thing did they not do the same this time the scrawl yep no no crawl no, uh, which, you know, I feel like if you're going to have some movies you don't do it in, it's probably good to go ahead and start with the first anthology film uh, and then keep the numbered ones having one. You know, that said, having that opening crawl allows you to info dump a lot of stuff that then saves time in the movie. And since Star Wars already has that kind of as part of its, you know, setup, there was no reason why you couldn't. But they chose not to. But in a way, I mean, if you think about it, so I have a couple of lines up. Um, it's exactly three sentences that will sound very familiar to you, Mandy. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and read them off. Uh, it's, uh, it is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil galactic empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the empire's ultimate weapon, the, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Um, you know what that's from, right? That is from A New Hope. Yes, that is from the original Star Wars original crawl. And that is basically what this exact, this movie is just, you know, three sentences from, it is a bunch of, uh, I I guess that's the thing to me is like, it is sort of the info dump. Like it's the elaboration on the info dump from, you know, A New Hope. So, so I kind of like, well, maybe we don't need more context ahead of time. Um, But uh, anyways. Well, um, let's not get ahead of ourselves though. Yeah, let's not. You know, what, what did we think of this movie overall before we start discussing spoilers and nitpicks and. Because obviously we have nitpicks. We always have nitpicks. We always have nitpicks. But uh, so, Michael, big picture. What did you think? Uh, big picture. I think before I say what I think, I have to say what I was hoping for, um, okay. which is basically something that felt modern, but also of a piece with the original Star Wars movie, and that it felt like it would naturally flow into the original Star Wars without being bogged down by the prequels, because this takes place between them, but closer to of course, much closer to the original trilogy. Um, I was hoping for something that kind of would emphasize things we didn't know about the rebellion, um, especially because it wasn't going to star any of the characters we were particularly familiar with. Uh, And I wanted something that had a different flavor than what I feel like a numbered Star Wars would. And I feel like I got that and was really satisfied with what I got uh, on all of those counts. I wanted one thing. Uh, I wanted everyone to die. I went into this movie and I was very clear about that. And to most people I talked about beforehand, I was like, if everyone doesn't die at the end of this movie, I, I, uh, it won't make any sense. Um, but I was not convinced star Wars was willing to go there. Um, because it's star Wars, right? 
Uh, it's always been kind of an optim, even even in its most dark moments, it's always been optimistic, right? Even at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you know, you have Obi-Wan, Luke, Leia all getting away. So I didn't know what was going to happen, but I wanted at least most of the characters uh, to die. Um, and I'm not going to say whether I got that or not, because obviously that would be a spoiler. But since I told everyone going into the movie before the movie, that's what I wanted from the movie. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I had also had similar discussions with people. It, it felt like going in, hey, as far as like war goes, I mean, we do specifically it, the crawl to the original movie does specifically say like, hey, there was this victory. We have the plans for the Death Star. We are, already know that at the beginning of the movie. And we also never see anyone who apparently was involved in that attack. Right. So. Right. Which so there could be other that. reasons for it. Right. If they're a spy commando group. Why would you see them? You know, like they're not going to be in A New Hope. But if there's one thing that um, A New Hope did not do well, uh, and uh, my, I've been talking about this movie for two days, Rogue One, and I've also been talking about Star Wars because of that for two days. And one of the things I've been doing is pointing out things the original series doesn't do well. And some of that is fixed by this movie. Um, but one of the things it doesn't do well is the cost of the war because even though Alderaan is destroyed, Princess Leia is never allowed to feel that loss in the movies. Right. Right. She gets one moment where she's like, Alderaan, no. And then never again. She never has a hard moment where she breaks down because literally everyone she has ever known is dead. Uh, you know, if anything, she has to comfort Luke because he lost Obi-Wan. Yeah. I mean, if anything, Star Wars, the original trilogy, feels like a handful of battles, not a war. Right. Um, whereas... I guess just to, you know, because I already mentioned that I feel positively about this movie, I feel like this movie feels a bit more like it is there is a war around it. Right. And, um, and I think that I, I didn't know this till afterwards because I was avoiding stuff about Rogue One. But it, it from what I've read, the director wanted it to be a war movie. Yeah. Um, so but coming out of the movie, I really liked it. Um, I'm going to say something crazy. Are you prepared for this? I'm prepared. It might be my second favorite Star Wars movie. No. Bomb dropped. I, I think it's too early, too early for me to decide where, where it falls in well, the... Well, that's why I said might, because <laughs> obviously I have to see it 50 billion more times, and obviously it's no Empire Strikes Back. Uh, but, um, you know, if you want me to nitpick the original Star Wars movies, I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we can uh, definitely do that. There, There is a lot that the original Star Wars movies that doesn't uh, hold up or make sense or things like princess Leia never being allowed to feel the loss of her planet. Um, and there, there's a lot of things and star Wars and this movie too, have always relied heavily on archetypes, which is in a way, both the height and downfall of the whole thing. Right. Right. Um, you always know where a new hope is going. Like you always know. <laughs> right. Uh, and at a certain point, you know exactly where rogue one is going. Um, but uh, that that's both to the success and the detriment of all Star Wars movies, right? Uh, but I really, really liked this movie. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that that we can talk about once we start talking spoilers. Um, yeah. So uh, One of the things I did like, and maybe it may have been a constraint that sort of in the constraint offered the creators some freedom, is that there was only really one major way that the overall plot could end, which is, hey... The rebels get the Death Star plans. Princess like, Leia has them and puts them in R two D two. Right? Like yeah, that's the like, ultimate outcome. Like we we know that has to happen, and we know that they have to have a victory of some kind, like you know, a, a battle. In in fact, because it says in the crawl to the original movie, 
during the battle, and it says that like they've won their first victory against the Eagle, Evil Galactic Empire during the battle. Rebel spies manage to steal secret plans. So like we know that they have to essentially have a large scale battle, and that Rebel spies steal plans. And, and yeah, and, and something this movie made me realize was there were a lot of things that I, for all that I love Star Wars, I love Star Wars. Like I have read. I can't say all expanded universe universe books because um the Yunsen Vong killed my soul. But uh, I have read a lot of expanded universe books. Like Star Wars is like my middle school years. That's like all I did was Star Wars. Um, but this movie made me realize things I'd never thought about um, and things that I just always accepted but had never thought through. Like why is Princess Leia looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yeah. I, you know, like I... I, it was after this movie that I was like, wait a minute. I never actually thought about, about that before. <laughs> like, I know she is, but somewhere in my mind, I had this cognitive disconnect that I felt like Princess Leia ended up at Tatooine the same reason Amidala did, which is by accident. Like, they got pulled out of hyperspace above Tatooine, you know? But that's not the case. Leia is going to Tatooine. She is going there. That is her purpose. That is where Obi-Wan is. <laughs> Right. And I, and I never made that connection. And I feel like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also and we'll talk about this more when we get into detail. But um, yeah, I, it gives enough background to things that happened in the original Star Wars that, you know, we sort of either filled in or didn't bother to fill in that I'm sure the extended universe had some things like I you could I mean, tell me yes or no. But like, did anybody in the extended universe ever bother to explain why there was this like glaring flaw in the Death Star? No. In fact, yeah. that, that uh, like that's been a joke as far as I've been aware, like for, right. you know, decades. It has. You know? it, it's been a, it's been an open joke that no one bothered to explain, just something the Empire overlooked. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of bad ways to retcon things. Right. But this was a fantastic. This retcon. was a fantastic. This <laughs> is how you retcon something. Right. This is how you take something people have been nitpicking for over 30 years and be like, wait a minute, we can explain this and we can explain it in a way that makes perfect sense. Yeah, the perfect sense is really satisfying. It's like, oh, okay, that I buy that, and we're on. It's it's very different from the uh, retcon that extended universe people tried to do with the uh, the parsec mistake. Yes, um, and, <laughs> which is like, guys, this is just George Lucas not knowing what a parsec is. <laughs> I, the other thing I really loved about this movie, that's not a spoiler, is its commitment to the '70s vibe. Um, yeah, like if there, I I love Terminator, right? But when I saw Terminator Genesis, I was really upset that they did not commit to the 80s vibe. Like they cast someone to play Reese and there was no feathered hair, right? There there was no 80s hair. There was no 80s clothing. They, it was weird. Like, I mean, the people who were obviously supposed to be characters from the 80s were, but Sarah Connor wasn't, Reese wasn't. It's like they felt they needed to update these characters. But you know what? In this movie, Cassian has 70s hair. Like everyone looks like, they are in the style of the time period, right? right. Which would be the time period of the universe, right? That would be their fashion. <laughs> and, and that's what I, you know, when I mentioned before, it was important to me that this would feel of a piece to right. A New Hope because of the fact that it takes place right before it, you know? Uh, it's This is in the same time period. It's in the same war. It's literally covering the period, like the one other major battle that they've had, essentially. Right. So, yeah, it needs to cover it. It needs to look like these are people who would be interacting with the people we ha- we already know. And then also not a spoiler because it was in the trailers, um, but Mon Mothma is in this movie. And I really appreciated that they took the woman who was cut from episode three. She ca- she 
she uh, filmed scenes in episode three. They cast her as young Mon Mothma and uh, they brought her back for this movie. And now she's the appropriate age because it's been, you know, 10 years since episode three. Right. So everyone's older. And uh, I I really appreciated that she was brought back, that she was there and uh, that she was shown to be a rebel leader as early as episode four, because we don't see Mon Mothma until episode six. Right. Right. Um, So I I really liked that touch. And there's some other slightly more spoilery things like that that I also want to talk about that. But uh, yeah, we will have to talk about those. Uh, I think at this point we've sort of exhausted non-spoilerish. It's stuff, a great movie. Go so. see it. That's- yeah, go see it. If you haven't seen it, stop listening to us and then go see it and then come back and listen to us. Yes. Um, all right. So uh, spoilers commence. Um, right. Mandy, talk so, to me. Going directly from the Mon Mothma thought. When Bail Organa appeared on scene, I had no idea he was in this movie. And my girl heart just like grew three sizes. Like. Yep. I love him. <laughs> he is a <laughs> highlight of the prequels. Like, no joke. I love Bail Organa. And having him there, having him be a force to be reckoned with in the rebellion, like, making that connection uh, was beautiful. Yeah, and it, it it was beautiful, but also important because it gives so much more significance to Leia and to, uh, you know, and to what the first planet we see destroyed by uh, the Death Star is, you know, um, it, it kind of puts all of this into motion and it just makes a lot of sense. So, yes, very glad that they did that. Um, I guess we can jump in since we're already in spoiler territory. We don't have to do things in appropriate order. We can talk about the other throwback uh, characters, I suppose. Yeah, some I liked, some I didn't. Um, I liked everyone who was supposed to be at Yavin 4, right? Your your mm-hmm. uh, uh, General Dodonna. Um, as soon as I saw him on screen, I don't even think they called him by name, but I was like, that's Jan Dodonna, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I, Bail Organa. Um, I, the one I felt was missing, and for me, being me, felt palpably missing in this whole movie, <laughs> was Wedge Antilles. I was going to say, it's like, uh-oh, here's the, the Wedge, uh, the wedge right? love. Like, uh, Wedge is red too. Uh, why did I not even get my red two standing by? Like, you know, in the whole movie, I didn't get that. Give me my Wedge. Why do we not have Wedge? I need him, Precious. This is a movie called Rogue One. Why is Wedge Antilla's not even a cameo line? You, you know, you have a cameo for random guys that get, like, killed by Obi-Wan on Tatooine, but not a cameo for Wedge Antilla's? Are you kidding me? Like, please. I want to say, too, that that cameo was awesome. <laughs> the, the, the random guys that get killed. Like, See, I, 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 I didn't appreciate that because, like, why are they on Jeddah? I as I was very confused about that afterward. It took me about three seconds. I was like, wait a minute, we're on the wrong planet. So that was confusing to me. Yeah, um, isn't like especially because that city gets destroyed too. Right. So did they like read the writing on the wall? So they left Jeddah and now they're at Tatooine. Because but Jeddah doesn't strike me as. But in an- the moment, I laughed though, and I was apparently the only one in the theater who like because I laughed and everybody else was silent. Like a couple people, were like what? I was like. <laughs> Oh no! I'm the only one who got this. Um, but that said, it was a smaller theater. This was one of the like you could pay extra money to be in like giant recliners with the 21 and up only people, and then it was like you know 35 people total in the, mm-hmm. the room. It was we very had nice. Recliners too, but it was a bigger theater. Um, I actually did not appreciate C3PO and R2D2 where they I, were. That's the one that frustrated me. I was like, why are they there? I, I feel if, like if we were on the Karelian Corvette and we saw them, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. But having them on Yavin 
Like, okay, so there's I get no, that they're there, there with... It feel like there's any reason. Right. I mean, I, I guess it's implied that they're there with Bale, and Bale does go to his ship and say, Captain Antilles, blah, blah, blah. But why would you even bring R2 and C-3PO off the ship? You know? Like... Right. I, I, it, it's... And, and C-3PO just doesn't strike me as a secret keeper, so I'm not even sure I would bring him on base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that was very weird, um, which does get into an issue I have later that I'll I'll ask about if I remember um, just we I, I, I'll throw it out there. So we both have the opportunity to remember, but I'm still trying to figure out the intricacies of the timeline with Bale's travel, him giving Leia the mission. So and that, how she ends up like I was confused by that at the end. I think everyone is. That's that's something my husband has like harped on. It doesn't it doesn't line up. Uh, Bale has to go get Leia. Right. Right. He has to because um, he is on Captain Antilles ship, which is the Corellian Corvette. He specifically says, Captain Antilles, you know, we have to take off like that's his ship. He has to go get Leia, put her on the ship. He has to get on Alderaan and she has to meet up with a Mon Calmary vessel and get to the site, get to Scarif. Right. The timing that, doesn't that make was, sense. Yeah, exactly. That did not make sense to me at all. So um, I and that was one of the things where. They could have resolved, I feel like, if they, A, I mean, you wouldn't have been able to do a um, a shot of R2 and C-3PO to do this, but they could have had, had just said something like, hey, I'm going to send a message to... To Captain to, Antilles know, and Leia, right? Right, like, exactly. Not that Captain Antilles and R2-D2 and C-3PO are there, right? Right. I'm going to send that a secure message. Exactly. That would have resolved the situation, I think. Yeah. To be like, you know, I'll, I'll send a message to them. So that they can leave before I, uh, you know, before I arrive back, just so that we can make time or something like that, you know, and right. uh, and then it's sort of like they just don't see each other again. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a that was a thing that was confusing. But other, I mean, you know, it's a nitpick. It's a, a thing that I just was scratching my head and decided that the other people I was with wouldn't have appreciated me. <laughs> criticizing the movie that quickly when we left. So I was like, all right, well, you know what? I liked it. We'll leave it at that tonight, because um, I finished at two thirty in the morning. I think. Oh my goodness, we finished at like ten. So, <laughs> I, I, I watched the movie right after a twelve-hour workday. Um, yeah. So it was a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, but going to other characters, uh, we have the CG faces. Okay, so uh, I think Leia worked. Um, I think her CGI. Um, worked. It didn't bother me. Uh, she's not really in the scene with other living creatures, so it's just her, and uh, it was momentary. And I think that, and she wasn't moving. Yeah, it didn't bother me at all. Um, Tarkin, uh, I think it is the best CGI animation for a human we have. It's still a little uncanny valley for me. That said, I've been reading online people who didn't know he was dead. The actor thought he was a real person. So maybe it's because we knew we were looking for it. So I am really sensitive to the Uncanny Valley. Um, it, this was like back when people started talking about the Uncanny Valley. I don't know, like two decades ago. I was kind of, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm a you know computer nerd, a graphics nerd, all that stuff. So I've, I've been following it for a long time. I'm really sensitive to it. It bugged me, but there are always trade-offs to be made, right? I mean, and, and this, you have the option to use a different actor, which would be terrible, or not use the character, I, which would be terrible. Well, I don't think it would be terrible to use another actor. I think what we had was a missed opportunity not to use another actor in this movie. I think that um, what we had was like, Mon Mantha is a different actor. Right. But she looks very similar. Um, and I think the problem was 
they should have given us another actor to play Tarkin in the prequels. That's how they should have fixed it. Like, you know, 20 years ago is there should have been someone because Tarkin should have been a bigger force in the prequels. That's one of my critiques of the prequels, but they didn't because they didn't want to cast a new guy to be Tarkin, I guess. But if you had cast some guy who, you know, 15 years ago was in his forties to play Tarkin and said, I need you all to accept that this is young Tarkin, just like you have accepted that Ewan McGregor is young Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then I think you recast him in this movie as Tarkin. We all would have been like, Yes, he's different, but I've already accepted, right, that he is Tarkin. And so that, I think, is the missed opportunity. But since that was not done in the prequels, I think this is the best we could do in Rogue One. I, well, right. So given that, but, um, and I shouldn't say it's not terrible. Not using him at all would have been terrible because, you know, it would really undermine episode four, um, or at least his role in episode four. It wouldn't really make sense. So he had to be a significant character in this. Um, I don't know, with as much time as he had on screen, it would feel weird going from episode four to this if he didn't look the same. Um, but all, all that to be said, though, being so I, I definitely was bugged by the Uncanny Valley aspect of it. But I feel like the trade off with going with someone else when we don't have that groundwork already laid down versus how close we are to getting out of the Uncanny Valley and how close this was. I feel like it was a worthy trade off. Um, I think case. one way that could have been gotten around it uh, was uh, just putting Tarkin in less well-lit areas. <laughs> or using a hologram and of him. Less using than... a hol- That's something that uh, we were talking about was a lot of those scenes Tarkin was in, there was no reason for Tarkin to physically be there. Right. It's just uh, the bad guy whose name is Krennic. I've been saying his name wrong for like two days. Um, Krennic could have been updating him via hollow, you know? Like, right. Now, the last scene where he's, like, on the Death Star, Tarkin, I think Tarkin had to be on the Death Star. Yeah. Um, but the earlier scenes between Krennic and Tarkin, I don't think Tarkin had to physically be there. I also don't think Krennic had to physically travel to Darth Vader, and that bothered me. I agree. Um, and then going to just uh, going back to what you were saying about Leia, uh, she bothered me less because she was there so briefly and, and so on. I also still don't know that it was necessary for them to even show us her face. Like, yeah, I, I probably would have loved her back turned. Yeah, like her back turned or you see the profile with the, uh, you know, with her, the hair like that could have been good, too, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that would have been all we needed uh, and to hear her voice. So, right. but uh, yeah, so th- those are kind of just I, I, I feel like that's all the cameo and, you know, reappearances of old characters and stuff that. Uh, I'm I'm glad that we got a bunch of them. I'm glad that we can even have this conversation about them. Uh, <laughs> it also seems that there were a lot of Rebels shout outs um, in this movie um, for Star Wars Rebels, the TV show, which while I do not actively watch Star Wars Rebels, I do appreciate that they went to that effort. Um, they page one of the characters from Star Wars Rebels in Yavin 4. And apparently the droid from Star Wars Rebels is seen giving Mon Mothma information. And the That's ship cool. from Star Wars Rebels is seen in the final battle which I think is a nice way to tie in that show without being over the top. That sounds, yeah, I, I've been meaning to get to Rebels for a while. I but, still have to finish Clone Wars, so. <laughs> and that's the thing is, I, I haven't even been watching Clone Wars, and I won't watch Rebels until I watch Clone Wars, so, yeah. yeah. Completionist in me. Ugh, holds me back. Um, uh, so I guess let's go from characters we already knew and were familiar with to new characters. All right, so I want to talk about Mads Mikkelsen. Which person is that? Galen Erso. Okay. I, so, I don't know names. So uh, I only <laughs> know him because he's, I feel like he's been in like every movie this year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he was great. Uh, one, the 70s haircut. Yes. <laughs> thank you. 
Um, two, I really appreciated the story of um, the Imperial who realizes what he works on is too powerful. Right. And backs out. Because I feel like one of the things that we don't, we don't get the perspective of in four, five, and six, and they tried to give us in three, and they end up cutting some of the scenes that give you this, is that the Empire, in a lot of ways, is not a new government. It is the Republic, right? So for the right. average person, nothing really changed. It's a slow change, right? Right. And so you wouldn't think, oh, I need to overthrow my government, like instantly, right? So there's a lot of people who would have been in the bureaucracy for the Republic who just kind of transition over to the bureaucracy of the Empire. And yes, you're an engineer, you know, you like cool stuff. You end up working as an imperial science officer. That doesn't sound crazy, right? But then one day you realize you're working on something that will change the universe and not in a good way. Right. And so, I mean, we get that scene that's a Jen's flashback of seeing her father and her mother hanging out with Krennic like they're friends, right? They're like drinking, having a good time. And you're like, yeah, that was his life. And then one day he realized, holy crap, what am I doing? Yeah. And, and so he, he retired. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I like his story, his entire story. Um, the way that it unfolds, I think they did a really good job. He's probably the character with the single most developed character, I feel like, that we got in this. <laughs> yes, I was also talking about that early. I, literally like two hours ago. Um, I think one of the downfalls of this movie um, is how poorly developed most of the characters are. And I right. feel like uh, uh, Gail, Bail, Galen, sorry, Galen Erso is the most developed character. And considering <laughs> how few scenes he's in, that's kind of shocking. Yeah. Uh, so definitely, I agree with you. One of the downsides to this movie is the lack of character development. But uh, going on, kind of building on that thought, though, of Galen backing out i mean you know we've seen a little bit in episode seven uh, obviously they kind of emphasize that where it's like hey stormtroopers are people too right um that was a big deal in that but this is the first time other than that so it's it's great that back-to-back movies have been like hey hey real people in the empire you know um which right. is a cool and, thing. and it's kind of that idea of like most people who in in germany were not personally evil right during world right. war ii <laughs> you know it's this idea that your government changes and you're just like okay we're gonna keep going <laughs> <laughs> like i'm not gonna fight the status quo i need to feed my family right right uh, and but then one day he realized that it, things had gone too far and he tries to back out um and then of course uh they uh come for him anyway right right they're like y- uh, you can't retire and it, presumably it seems like he's been gone for at least a little bit right but they need him is the impression right. I get, right? They're like, we can't do this without you. And then he has this whole realization, you know, in his message to Jen, right? We piece this together from so few scenes, but it's so well done um, that in his message to Jen, he's like, I realize they could do this without me, um, that they're going to do this regardless of whether I'm here or not. But I have the power to make them trust me and to put a bug in the system. Right. Uh, which is the retcon we were talking about before. And it's just so good because it's like, oh, that ridiculous flaw where one little th- blast, like any direct blast to this thing will blow the entire thing up. That's because someone put it there on purpose. Right. And that suddenly makes so much more sense. Right. Um, and it would only make sense if it's someone who is involved from the beginning. Mm-hmm. of the plan for this thing, you know, who was integral to it and who had people's trust from the beginning. Right. And is the one giving you these trade studies, right? Like any engineer and someone being like, 
hey, aren't those levels like a little too high? Like, what if someone hit that? And you're like, oh, no, no. Like, I put in safeguards, like, look at all these other things, you know. Or like someone's like, do you really need to tie those systems together? And he's like, well, look at the cost if we don't. Like, this is going to cost us 12 billion <laughs> more credits, right? Right. Uh, and he has to be someone that they believe when he says things like that. Because the yeah, they believe that like went through design reviews. Right, especially <laughs> getting what we have from Galen. Uh, the impression you get is that he's someone who, if somebody came to it, who'd been like sort of an acknowledgement, like, hey, I totally understand your concern. Promise I saw it too. And here's like, and but it's been addressed. Right. You know, it's kind of, uh, okay, cool. We're, we're fine then. And they move on. I mean, at some uh, point, all engineering designs have to accept a certain level of risk, right? Right. He just had to sell him that the level of risk that he was introducing into the system far outweighed the cost and the other risks that would be introduced to not do it this way. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really funny because I'm, of course, you know, I have both the Robot Chicken and Family Guy Star Wars specials on DVD. <laughs> and, and everybody always makes the, the joke about, like, why don't we just put, like, cardboard over this thing, you know? Well, it's an <laughs> or, exhaust uh, port. You can't. Yeah, well, they're, they're like, but why don't you put, like, a vent further down yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to protect it from explosions, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, air can keep moving down a pipe. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It's uh it's fun, but uh I guess so other characters we can kind of keep in the family. How do we feel about Jin? So close to being a real character. <laughs> <laughs> like the thing I realized this morning uh was that I did not cry when anyone in this movie died. Yeah, me neither. And I'm a crier. <laughs> me too. I, I cry at everything. Uh but she was the probably second most developed character of the characters we didn't already know, because obviously Bail Organa is way more developed than almost anyone else in this movie, just because we've had like three A lot of time with him. But uh, I, my nitpick with her is she didn't struggle enough with her change to suddenly being a rebel. Like, I, I felt like there needed to be one more scene that was after she sees her father's message and we see the light bulb of this is what my father has given his life for, you know, uh, because before that she was very apathetic to the rebel cause. That is definitely the reason why she becomes a rebel. Right. But I feel like they didn't quite string that together. It was just like, oh, she was sad because she saw her father's message and now she's a rebel. I think that they could have probably pretty easily done it if she had maybe gotten to speak to one other person who knew her father afterwards. Which that could would have been be the pilot. A- Bodie, he knew her father. Like there should have been a conversation between them where she went to him and was like, what did he tell you? Right. You yeah. Know? Like some something about like, no, he's a good man. Here's what I have seen him do kind of a thing. And then so that way she's can pull herself fully out of that denial phase of thinking ill of her father. You right, know, she's because, like, no. So who I thought he was was true. Right. Because yeah. that that's the that's the disconnect for her. Right. It's not it's that. Your father left you for this. Your father left you for the rebellion, right? And yes, that is his cause. But can you get over the fact that your father left you to get on the cause of the rebellion, which was his cause? And for some people, they can't do that, right? They're like, no, my father left me. I don't care. You know, like nothing is great enough for my father to leave me. And some people would be like, no, like now I understand why he left me, right? Uh, and abandoned me with this other person and why I got raised the way I do and why he's doing and he never came back to me. Like, now I understand. And like you said, I think just one more, like, discussion would have helped. Uh, and so to go with that, to kind of tie that to another character, um, what's the name of the the other guy that Cassian? she was raised by? Yes, no, Cassian. No, no, Cassian's the dude. Saw. Saw Guerrera. 
Oh yeah, yeah, saw. So, so I have that's another that. thing that they could have built this too if they had if her conversation with Saw when she asks him why did you leave me right and he says it basically like hey there's this cause you wouldn't have been safe with me if they had spent a little bit more time on that to sell that point like abstracted it a little bit like sometimes people who love you have to leave right because of for you know for something greater and it's like a that that includes you you know if he had sold that a little bit more and then they built on it with one more conversation afterwards with say the pilot that would have just completely sold it, you know? I mean, every parental figure she has left her for the rebellion. Like, you just don't get over that realizing, oh, this was my father's cause. Yeah, that was your father's cause, but that was your adoptive father's cause. And you didn't, like, join up the rebellion after he abandoned you, you know? Like, I, this is why you have no family, is yeah, because and, of the rebellion. And kind of drilling home the point that, hey, it's not because they think they love the rebellion more than you. It's because you're they, not safe without the rebellion. They love you thing. so much. They had to <laughs> right. do this, right? That's it, what it comes down to. Exactly. And they didn't like we can read that in and it's right. clear, but they didn't necessarily sell. They didn't sell to me that the character sold it to her. Right. You know, and that's uh, they, she forgave yeah. her father too fast. It's like seeing him again in hologram form caused her to forgive her father. And right. that that was too fast for me. Right. Um. Yeah, and and then they could have had that just final moment with with the father where it's like you know she's trying to come around and he says the right thing and she's like, you know, don't worry like I will I will finish this for you or something. Right. Like that. that that moment that it's like this is the cause everyone in my life has given them for, given themselves for. This is the cause I will die for. Right? right. That connection. That connection of I am I am echoing my father's both of them. Right. right? Uh, and they just they just didn't connect those dots. And like you said, we can read between lines. You know, I can write the fanfic that connects those dots. <laughs> like we'll all be weeping. It'll be sad. Uh, but uh, they the movie didn't do it for us. And, and that's why I think her death at the end is a little bit hollow. Um, I mean, I felt for her. Right. And I wanted everyone to die. Obviously, I said yeah. that at the beginning. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that was the dots that was missing. Yeah, I, I was feeling the victory more than the sorrow of their death. Right. You know, I, which is fine, I guess. I mean, because it was definitely a victory. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I guess any elaborations on Saw? I, for whatever reason, wasn't sold on him. I mean, I guess I know that it's Star Wars, so we have to have, we have a cer certain... We have to have like a robot guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, it, it's not just that. Like, I feel like we have to have a quota of adult asthmatics like it's just kind of like, you know uh, like you have general if, if, grievous you have darth vader you gotta have saw Gerrera. yeah right right so there's that um um i i think it was nice to have his group as kind of this like we talked about the splinter group of the rebellion or we didn't talk about it we implied it in the that there are the rebellion is a loose alliance which we also see later when jen's trying to sell this whole idea of going to get the Death Star plans to this group of people um, mm -hmm. and Saw backs out of the political side of that alliance. I feel like Saw is the separatist. Um, I'm sorry. I know we're going back to episode three language, My <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, the alliance is trying to fix it from within. And I feel in a lot of ways, right. Bale is a, is a political figure. I mean, uh, yeah, they still talk about the Senate, right. You know, Leia they, they... is a Senator, uh, you know, um, Whereas I feel like uh, 
they even talk about like, hey, if we can bring the secret to the Senate, they can do something. Right. You that, know? And that's actually a big point in the movie um, that I'm not sure is pressed upon enough. But they, they gloss it over it, way too quickly that the Senate cannot know about the Death Star, because what happens at the beginning of A New Hope when Leia is on the Death Star? She's like, the Senate will never allow this. And like the Senate has been dissolved. Right. The knowledge of the Death Star could not get out before the Senate was dissolved. And really, that's what the Empire is fighting against this whole movie, because they have no idea a flaw is there. They right. have no idea. They're fighting against the knowledge of the Death Star getting out before Emperor Palpatine has done his last uh, checkmate politically to right. dissolve the last trappings of the Old Republic. And so Saul, so Saul Guerrero is the guy who sees the writing on the wall, who's like, no, we cannot change the system from the inside. I am out. You know, and I'm going to go do whatever I want and I'm going to do whatever it takes, which isn't to say that the rebellion isn't also doing whatever it takes, because Cassian early in the movie shows that. Right. Because he right. kills his own informant. Um, but Saul is the one who has no uh, what was the word I'm looking for. He has no delusions of he's a good person, I feel like. Whereas the rebellion, you know, Mon Mothma doesn't get her hands dirty. <laughs> no, and they and they sit there and they talk themselves in circles about what risks they can take and so on. And you know, and Jin has her little speech about it's like, well, we have to take this risk because right. otherwise, what else is there? And it doesn't sell them, right? And Cassian's taking those risks every day, right? Right, but he's the low level soldier, and these are the politicians. And I think right. the politicians are the people saw backed out of, right? Exactly. And you know, you think about that again, you know. You cannot talk about Star Wars without seeing the obvious parallels to Nazi Germany, right? right. So uh, that's because that's what it's about. And uh, and it's the same sort of thing where you basically have to have people up front saying just no. Like there is not a there is not a way that we can work together to make this OK. Like we just need to say no. Like that's how you that's how you oppose it. Because otherwise, you you know, it's the frog boiling in water slowly mm -hmm. uh, situation. So um I guess uh, we reference Cassian then. So uh, he's our fir the first time we ever see the perspective of a regular soldier in the Alliance, right? Right. Someone we never have special. seen that before. <laughs> yeah, because uh, he's not. He's really not. And I, actually, I was both worried and intrigued when you're first introduced to him and he kills his thing. Is like, wait, so am I supposed to not like the Alliance now? Um, and I actually like how they kind of tied it together. Is it by the end it ties into this? Hey, the Alliance is you know a real group of people with real issues and all kinds of problems. This was not a clean thing because war is not clean. Well, I actually yeah. think he echoes Luke and Luke's struggle, right? Um, because everyone wants Luke to kill Darth Vader. Everyone. Yoda, Obi-Wan, yeah. the Alliance. And uh, they've trained Luke to be this weapon, right? Cassian's been trained to be a weapon, been told he has to make these kill He has to kill people. And then he finally is like, maybe I don't, right? Like maybe right. some people are redeemable and he has like a mini like Luke arc, like very many. <laughs> and he's definitely more. I don't want to use the phrase dark side because unfortunately that has implications in. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but he's he's already made that decision at the beginning of the movie that he's he at the beginning of the movie. If he was Luke, he would just be killing Darth Vader. Right. But he goes on the, the track that's like, wait, maybe some people can be redeemed. Maybe not every Nazi is a Nazi. At heart, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Luke has that same story. But, of course, Luke's is, you know, even like it's his own dad. Whereas Cassian, it's someone else's dad. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so it was a nice little mini arc. Granted, it only really got half a movie um, because he makes that decision halfway through the movie. Right. right. To and not kill 
Galen. And, and it would, I feel like there was no way for, not no way, but it would be very difficult for them to give us a full arc here because either they started earlier and we don't really feel settled into who he is, or they started when they did and it's just not a lot of time for the change right. to happen. So uh, either way, part of it is just the fact that, hey, you're going to in- get introduced to a whole bunch of characters who are all going to die at the end. So, <laughs> so we have to do everything we can to introduce you to them and develop them and then kill them by the end of this movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I really appreciated um, him and some of the other characters having different accents because I, pre- I, I feel like Star Wars has two accents. <laughs> yeah. You're either British or American. And it's one of the things where the Alliance, you know, the rebels, they're supposed to pre- represent everyone who isn't raised up by the Empire. Right. Like, you know, this is everyone else. This is aliens of all kinds. This is humans from the fringe. This is humans from the inside who realize that Others are not treated well by this. You know, like you have the one really diverse group and then you have the group who's not. That said, and I felt there weren't enough aliens in the Alliance. I agree, too. Uh, and I, I wonder if that's a my headcanon says that this could be explained by uh, like larger issues with how wealth is affect uh, wealth affects the ability to travel and have ships and so on because the Empire has been around for a little while. So, you know, maybe there are just knock on effects and they're just aren't as many non-humans who uh who have the ability to put up a fight right now uh and, and a lot of the, the non-humans have been subjugated right right exactly so it's like that the empire has been doing things to the non-humans for a while now presumably so um so maybe that actually just means that there aren't that many non-humans to be brought into the alliance um maybe but i would have still liked i would have preferred to see more you know i mean that said like uh I, I saw that there was one review where someone said that there was not a strong, vigorous male lead in this movie. Um, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> well, who cares? But I felt like Cassian, other than he wasn't fully characterized, but neither was Jin, right? Um, that he was a strong male lead. And I also really liked um, Donnie Yen's character, whose name I cannot pronounce uh, because I feel like they didn't say it in the movie. <laughs> I'm going to guess Sharut Imwe, but I... Don't know. Could be Charit, uh, yeah. Charit, uh, Mway. I, I agree. It's probably Mway. The force sensitive guy. Yes. Uh, the 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 monk like guy. And, and you know, a thought I had in the movie is he would come across as a as a standard mystical Asian stereotype, if not for the fact that literally everyone else in the movie we've ever seen being a Jedi is either an alien, white, or black. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like we have seen Jedi, and they are not like yeah not particularly diverse um and uh so i I thought that was i i I loved his character i loved the moment when they put the bag over his head and he's like what are you even doing i'm blind (laughs) he's like really i'm blind (laughs) uh he was hilarious i i was not worried but i was not particularly interested in who he was from the trailers because like, all right there's a force sensitive guy who's not a jedi so he's gonna be force sensitive but not as good as jedi are eh, all right that's fine and then he just ended up being really funny like, i loved him and his bff whose name yeah i don't know but ev- even the way that he would do his his prayers and his chants like he was really awkward about it you know uh, and i liked that i like that he was really awkward and endearing well, pretty I mean, much the thing all the is, time is that people are awkward like that. Yeah, absolutely. When it's you realistic. Start praying out loud amongst people who don't believe it is awkward. Yeah. Like, you know, 
<laughs> and, you know, if you have a mantra that you're constantly repeating to yourself, like, I don't even care if it's the mantra from Dune, you know, it, the the fear one that right. I vaguely know. Like, if you're repeating that, it's annoying. <laughs> and it's like, that, so if it comes across as annoying or awkward, that's because that is annoying or awkward. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I really liked him. I liked this idea that... um you know, we don't know where he comes from other than he is some sort of like associated with a temple. Um, so whether it's just that he believes in the force, whether he's force sensitive, um, you know, he's not a Jedi. And I, and I don't think even if the Jedi still existed, he would be a Jedi. I, I think he's probably at most force sensitive, but not um, a force user, if you will. Well, maybe. I mean, it, it, it sort of depends, too, because they always had the rules with the Jedi about, like, how late are you supposed to be brought into it? And you have varying degrees of strength and who knows what kinds of different actual occupations they had with Jedi. Yeah, the prequels but I feel like there, there's two aspects to the Force, right? There's I can use the Force to manipulate other stuff. And then there's I can use the Force to sense stuff. And uh, because you can use the Force to dodge the blaster bullet or you can use the Force to deflect the blaster bullet. Or if you're Darth Vader, you can absorb it. Uh, but uh, I, I feel like not everyone who's force sensitive is going to have all the capabilities, if that makes Maybe. sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that does make sense. And, but also our exposure, unfortunately, the prequels just really don't handle the force well. But in the original trilogy, our exposure to people who use the force is really limited and ostensibly limited towards people who are incredibly strong in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. Like, if you think about the fact that you have Darth Vader... Darth Vader is literally em- the strongest person in the Force. Literally. Right. And then you have the Emperor, who has to be pretty strong. And you have Obi-Wan, who is, like, old and wizened. And, uh, you know, we get the impression that but- both Obi-Wan and Yoda were pretty strong. And then you have Luke, right? And it's just, like, it's such a small sample size <laughs> that, uh, that if you ignore I- the prequels, like, I could see there having been room for Jedi who were significantly weaker. I mean, that said, I think the Emperor typifies kind of the divide I'm talking about in that the Emperor has never struck me in any of the movies as being a particularly good fighter. Right. He just has like forced lightning. Right. You know. Yeah. Like uh, that's not his his force thing. You know, I'm not disagreeing with you. Like, I, I definitely think that there are people who have completely different skill sets and stuff, which is why I think a lot of people it really bugged when Yoda was doing like quadruple flips. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I knew they said Yoda was a great warrior in, you know, the Empire, but. But it doesn't mean that even being a warrior has to look the same. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, it's like, I I feel like Yoda, Yoda's being a great warrior would have aligned much more like. uh, With the Emperor. Yeah, with the Emperor. Like Like, he's, he's throwing like buildings at you. Yeah. You know, and uh, and so on. Or just like strategically directing ships. Yeah. Right. Or and it could also just be like even in close quarters, it could be things like shifting your aim so that you end up shooting your allies instead of him. You know, things like that. So uh, there's a lot to be said about that. But but in that mindset, though, if you don't look at the prequels, I could imagine someone like him, if he had had the ability to have training from a young age, being just a weak Jedi who has some skills and not others, you know? I also feel like um, there's got to be people who wash out of Jedi training. Oh, I'm sure there are, yeah. Yeah. But but again, he never would have had the shot, the chance, presumably. Um, well, I don't know how one, old he is. Oh, that's true. Um, like, so one of the things that he, though, that he exhibits that I really like, though, is many of us have had the criticism before about, like, the skepticism of the Force in Episode 4. And it's like, but it hasn't been that long. And you had all of the Jedi around not that long ago. Right. 
you know, like for all of you to be super skeptical. And it's like, no, no, no. There are some people who believe just given their circumstances. There are some people who do believe in the force and so on. So it's more a matter of who we were exposed to in the original movie versus, you know, versus the fact that like nobody even knows about it anymore. or Nobody knows that Jedi were a real thing, you know, because here it is like they're actually talking about the fact that, hey, this stuff is. These are the crystals that they used in the lightsabers. Like, well, they're talking I, about the Jedi as facts. I don't think it's that Han Solo didn't believe the Jedi existed. And this is going to be me going out on a slight limb, right? But right. let's say the Jedi are the medieval Catholic Church of the Republic. This, this is not a statement on the modern Catholic Church. I'm talking about pre-Protestant Reformation, like the Catholic Church that is a political force in the galaxy. And that, I think, creates some skepticism from people who are like, I, you say you have this faith, but I just see this power, not, not even like power in the sense of like force power, but like political power. So I could see Han Solo acknowledging that the Jedi existed, but thinking they created this religion to keep people in line, right? This religion that doesn't exist. There is no such thing as the force. The Jedi were just a political power that you know wielded force that the empire got rid of and now that religion doesn't exist anymore and so i guess what i'm meaning is like not indicating what level of doubt they have but that like hey you have a lot of people who have a lot of doubt around the jedi and the force to some degree or another but But there still do exist people who believe it right and then what are the odds that your random guy from tatooine has ever even seen a jedi Right, exactly. So, yeah. so, and what I what I mean though is like before, it just felt weird for there to be an absence of anybody who believed that this was a thing, right? Because it just hasn't been that long, and now it's like this sort of feels like we're getting a more complete view of the galaxy, you know, and and it makes me feel better about it. So I like that. Um, All right, and so- yeah, like you said, his BFF, the heavy weapons person, is pretty sweet. Yeah, he's so. not well characterized other than in his friendship to. Yeah, he loves his friend. Yeah, you know. So, uh, and then I actually really liked the Imperial defector Bodhi. Uh, I know he doesn't have a lot of scenes and we don't know a lot about him other than this is his cause. Right. And he is going like he, he, I mean, he's bought in like, you know, I, he feels bad about things he's done and he's trying to make up for it. Right. Uh, And it is Jin's dad who gave him that opportunity. Right. And he, and he gets tortured. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I, I really liked him. I really enjoyed his character. Um, I wish he, I think a scene or two with Jen talking about Galen would have cinched a lot of things. Uh, but uh, I, I really liked him and was sad when he died. Though I and he's a really die. pivotal character. Yeah. You know, he's just so much of the victory relied on him. And he's the one who says Rogue One when they say, what's your designation? Right. Uh, and he's like, uh, Rogue One. <laughs> I'm taking yeah. off now. Peace. Uh, that was such a good, again, awkward scene just the the pause and they're like you gotta say something it's like uh rogue one (laughs) and you know this also is another retcon right this retcons why there is no rogue squadron at the battle of yavin because there is a rogue squadron in empire there is a rogue squadron in uh uh return of jedi there is no rogue squadron at yavin 4 and that's because this movie is retconning when rogue squadron came into existence yeah uh, and it's like, well, you just wouldn't have had time to, to create a rogue squadron between this and... Right, which we uh, also clearly yeah. see in the final battle. All of the pilots in that final battle, uh, except Red 5, because he had to die, uh, are the same pilots in uh, uh, the Battle of Yavin. 
Oh man, how much does it suck to die by just running into a force field? I don't even oh, want to imagine. Oh, it's just like that. What a terrible way to go out. <laughs> yeah. That said, uh, speaking of that, as soon as Blue Squadron said they were going in, I was like, there's no Blue Squadron. They're all going to die. Like, yep. yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, there is no Blue Squadron at the Battle of Yavin. Yeah, no, it, when they said that, I was like, oh, no. Well, bye, guys. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, good luck. You had your, like, three seconds of fame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we haven't talked about K2SO. Oh, so I, I think he might be my favorite character. I, I think, uh, other than I think Galen Erso is my favorite character, I think K2SO is my favorite rebel. Alan Tudyk just stole the show. He's hysterical. Uh, Punchline, it's just his comedic timing is great. He's like this great blend of C-3PO and R2 and, you know, just his own thing. Uh, this is really, really funny. Well, he's awkward and unstable because he's been reprogrammed, right? Right. And, like, I, I just felt like, like, I know people exactly like k2so like you know who like you say something and yes you should say like something that's you know subtle or uh you know taking into account everyone's feelings and he's just like no i kind of hoped you died there you know (laughs) (laughs) uh and uh he was and and because he's a droid he doesn't require the same level of characterization as the other characters because we like make these assumptions about him that are generally true right yeah he's a robot uh there's the I, I still i think maybe my favorite line in the entire thing is like uh jen urso uh jen urso i'll have your back cassian told me i had to <laughs> <laughs> like, and everybody sitting there's like, uh, like you could hear the beat in the theater where it was like oh that's really and then you just and then he says that and everybody just laughs it's like oh that's funny uh, it was so good um but yeah he's great uh the sort of bonding that they have because J- uh yeah jen's the only one willing to give him a blaster yep um pretty fun um because you know she's a rebel uh he's just so good uh and really valuable as a droid who is stronger than humans are and can literally pick stormtroopers up and throw them around when and he completely blends in with the empire yeah uh but it's also cool to and again it's this feeling that i don't think we really got from any r2 and c3po feel like people uh, and their, their quirkiness, and I guess BB-8 does as well. But in the prequels, we sort of lost that because uh, R2 and C-3PO, their entire involvement in the prequels just felt weird. But K2 also feels human in a way that is different from how we normally think of as robot of robots in other contexts, right? So he'll sit there and he'll say a really weird thing. Uh, he'll he'll hesitate and he won't know how to respond when he's interrogated by somebody in the Empire, you know. <laughs> He'll ask him, he's like, uh, uh, uh <laughs> no, you can't take her, her, I'm supposed to take her, like, you know, I'm it's- I'm taking these prisoners to the prison. Can, can you direct me to the prison? <laughs> uh, why don't we take them? I, no, I'm taking them. <laughs> I, I love that. I uh, really, really love that. I really love the fact that, yeah, he's a droid and he has information banks and stuff, but it doesn't mean he can do things smoothly and, you know, adapt smoothly. So I like that a lot um all right so i think we need to talk about the bad guys now uh yes we do so uh obviously the big the the force in this movie is krennic he's the guy we're working against but there's also tarkin and vader and uh we briefly talked about tarkin um and his cgi-ness um but i guess we haven't really talked about him and his interactions with krennic so let's talk about krennic and hopefully we'll hit tarkin and vader as we talk about it. yeah um <laughs> 
Krennic definitely feels like someone who I think would uh, be in his position in the Empire. He's someone who is proud of his accomplishments, but definitely wants to get the credit. And, well, you have the Empire, so people are not necessarily going to give him his credit. Well, I also think he's like a science officer, right? He's, yeah. He's director Krennic. He's not general. He's not governor. He's not grand moth, you know? And, and I feel like we get this kind of triumvirate of bad guys in this movie that Krennic is the science bad guy. Tarkin is the political bad guy and Darth Vader is the military bad guy. Right. Right. Uh, And Krennic wants more credit, but the credit doesn't go to the scientists ever. Right. (laughs) Like the credit goes to the politicians and the, uh, the, the generals, right. That that's how things generally, I mean, history doesn't always write itself that way, but in the moment I feel like, you know, it's the person who dropped the bomb who gets recognized, not the person right. who made the bomb. Um, yeah, it's now this this long after World War II that, you know, I have actual books on my shelves about the scientists involved with making the bomb. But <laughs> that is a long after the fact thing right. that gets done. And so he just wants his credit as the person who made the bomb. Uh, and he wants the emperor to, you know, recognize that he is the one who made the bomb. Uh, and I... Uh, because of that, he gets himself into some trouble. A little bit of trouble, yeah, with multiple different people. Mm. Um, who do we want to... I guess let's just go to Tarkin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Tarkin, uh, I mean, we already know him because, you know, he's around in regular Star Wars. Regular Star Wars. Star Wars. Wars. Uh, uh, like Star Wars regular Star Wars. Coke, and then the prequels are diet Star Wars. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was going for with that. And then Rogue it's, One is Star Wars Zero. Right. That's what, exactly. that's what I'm going with. <laughs> you do a kingdom hearts numbering scheme in, in which case everything's decimals it's ah, weird that's weird uh, let's not do that uh so yeah he's um clearly a political person who is like look i'm i'm going to take credit for this he's really mean um not likable in the slightest but in a good way for his position in the for his role i suppose uh yeah, I don't know that I have a lot to say other than it really does convince me that, yes, this is how he would end up becoming in charge of, you know. Well, I think the interesting thing about Krennic is when we see him in the flashback, he doesn't have his own family, right? The Empire is his life. Like, right. he has given his life to the Empire. He is an Empire man, and he is a bureaucrat in a lot of ways, right? He didn't design the Death Star. He's in charge of the scientists who designed the Death Star. He's a project manager. Uh, he is a program manager. Of which I will say nothing more. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah. uh, Well, we could say the best projects and programs have really good project and program managers, right? Yes. So so really good ones are really valuable. Yes. That is a statement we can say. (laughs) That is a positive statement we can say. Uh, (laughs) But no, no, I I love all my program managers. Uh, But, uh, you know... And I think he's actually a good program manager because he's gotten the Death Star put together. Yeah. Uh, of which, okay, can we talk about the Death Star design momentarily? Yes. Yes. Let's let's do that. This is a problem from the new A New Hope. But those poor guys who stand in the tube and have to like cover their heads when the Death Star, like you know, the light goes by them. Like who stands there? Why? Why? Why can't a droid do this? Why isn't this automated? What are those guys doing? Like. Can't we at least have a railing for them? Like, like why don't you have there? Sh- why isn't there a? I was, it, I forget. Is okay. So, what's the no plastic Star Trek? Right. Yes, I think. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, some equivalent of that. Like, why don't you have a little structure for them to stand inside? Right. Why? Why? Why do they have to be in that tube with the death laser? OSHA yeah, would I, not approve this. Okay. OSHA has not 
been to the Death Star. Well, but the Senate doesn't know about it, so there's clearly that's no regulation true. happening here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's from A New Hope, so they had to include it in this. But since they used the Death Star more in this, it was more obvious, right? That right. Just like, these poor guys in this tube. Um also, I did also like that they did a gradual test. They're like, hey, we're going to blow up a city and then another city instead of the entire planet. Well, they couldn't like... blow up a planet. The Senate would know. <laughs> right, right. But it also is like, we still need to test it, you know, yeah. and this is a good opportunity to test it. So that makes sense in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, yeah. Though the aim in their last shot at a, a scrape yeah. is a little bit off. I was very confused about that. I was like, well, why did they miss? Like, I think that, it's the it's not... angle they're at. Um, but there's, yeah, I, that's a headcanon and I'd have to go back and watch it, but I think they're not centered, um, because the Death Star aims out of that port, right? Right. And if they're not, if you're not angled properly, you, you wouldn't hit the ground. Like the Death Stars. But that feels like the kind of thing that you would have figured out on the Death Star targeting. So it was like, oh, let us tilt the Death Star a little bit, you know? But they, like, but they had to kill it faster because they wanted to stop the Death Star plans from getting out. Uh, well, that's so, true. And, and, okay, so this is like a thing, right? Like if you're pointing a laser, it has a very small like area it actually goes to. So it doesn't have a large spread. Right. Right. So you're either going to hit it or you're going to miss. And since they're not blowing up the whole planet, they're not blowing up the whole planet. But yes. Also, does it refract on the uh, on the atmosphere? I mean, I, I, I'm not saying I don't think we saw it, but I feel like that would potentially adjust aim where it's like, hey, if this thing is made to blow up entire planets, you don't really have to worry about that so much. Whereas when you're targeting an individual city, you could end up you know, not taking that refraction. Yeah, and I feel properly. like at Jeddah, they were directly over the city. So they had a direct aim. And yeah. uh, whereas uh, so there could have been refraction in the atmosphere that also deflected it a little bit. Um, I also I didn't realize I don't. I, so I don't know how this works. Why is it so slow? Not the Death Star itself, but the explosion uh, on Jetta. They're like, it's so slow the way these rocks like move up. Like, yeah, it, it was really slow. <laughs> I'm wondering if what the damage was, it wasn't like it was essentially like a boring down and it almost like a tectonic explosion like mm. like it's like the the actual ground plates are shifting rather than Maybe. just it being actual like explosive you know so less of, of a shock explosion. wave it's more of like a ground-based tidal wave yeah that's that's what the impression i got was on jetta so okay. um and that sort of makes me feel like okay that would take a little bit longer to get to you right um because you're moving solid ground um okay and it would be more and it would be more destructive too yeah i'll I'll buy that but at the moment i was just like what is happening (laughs) like (laughs) that is the slowest explosion i've (laughs) ever seen in my life it's like they would already be dead we there would be nothing to record right now (laughs) i don't understand what's happening good times good times yeah but it it kind of shows that the death star is a multi-use weapon it's not just it doesn't just have to destroy planets right Mm -hmm. It could just destroy cities. I mean, hey, it's multi-use. It got used three times. Yeah. That's a pretty low return on investment there. Granted, but uh, one of the places it destroyed was an Imperial base. So, hmm. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's going to cost them some money. <laughs> it's a really low return on investment, honestly. <laughs> and not to mention all of... Now, now I assume that Scarif is just the backup of all the plans. Because I assume that, like... Galen had Death Star plans, 
right? Like, I mean, he's right. working on the Death Star. But I assume Scarif is where they back up plans for these things. So I think everyone who's also working on a project at the same time did not just lose all their plans because Grand Moff Tarkin blew up Scarif. Uh, yeah. But I'm kind of like, were some plans lost? I feel bad for those engineers. I mean, I know they're bad guys, but... I, I mean, I feel like this was it was very much a... a this is the leak rather than the like the canonical set, right? Yeah. So, like you said, it's a backup. Um, yeah, and that was the main reason that the Empire didn't want it to get out. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Darth Vader, I need to talk about him. Go for it. There's this scene where Krennic goes to talk about Darth Vader. Goes to talk to, I'm sorry, Darth Vader on what I assume is Mustafar. I don't know. I don't uh, think they is- said, but it was a volcanic planet. Um, and I didn't like it. <laughs> Uh, he didn't strike me as Darth Vader. Like, something... I mean, I know he was voiced by the same actor, um, but I felt like James Earl Jones put too much inflection in Darth Vader's speech, uh, and it just struck me that that was not Darth Vader talking. (laughs) Interesting, because to me, I actually was sold by it. Like, to me, it felt like, hey, this is a real good way to show that, remember, Darth Vader's a scary person. (laughs) He is frightening. Um, I I, I don't know. I actually like that because the, this was the conversation where uh where uh what what's the guy's name again Krennic. sorry where Krennic uh tries to like he's like so you'll put in a word for the emperor with me and darth vader and then darth vader's like well time to choke this guy and be like don't what the line he said was something like uh don't don't choke s- on your ambition yeah don't choke on your ambition is like yeah that's a that feels like a darth vader thing to do is like remember this guy's very scary so i didn't i didn't mind the lines it was literally the way they were said uh and and i don't know that that's just a weird like Mm. mandy thing like darth vader says cheesy things all the line like all the time i find your lack of faith disturbing after i killed you you know like darth vader's the kind of guy who talks to himself um which i'm fine with (laughs) uh it was just something in the way he was walking or you know maybe it was even like the actor i i don't know but i felt like the lines were said weirdly and uh i i loved darth vader fighting later in the movie yes that was amazing it was very intimidating, imposing, and also felt of the new, uh, of the original trilogy. I'm just too. not sure it was necessary for Krennic to go to Darth Vader. And I also don't believe that any, just any Imperial person can or would go to Darth Vader. I, I mean, I feel like in this context, this is, hey, this is the guy in charge of the Death Star. Like, I can believe that he would be able to go to, to Vader because this is a military weapon and this is the guy who knows the most about it ostensibly or at least is in charge of the project you know um so i I agree that not any imperial person could be but i feel like if any science officer were to be able to talk to vader it would be him Mm. because again he's making a world destroying weapon so fair fair um all right so i want to talk about the battle of scarif yeah uh it was awesome but there, there are a couple of things i really appreciate one, I kind of expected them to jump out of their ship guns blazing, and they didn't. <laughs> yeah, they were like, hey, remember, we need to make 10 men feel like 100. Yeah. So let's fan out. Let's set a bunch of explosions. Let's have a bunch of different things set. And one of the f- one of my favorite parts about this, and it lends to this sort of strategic thinking and uh, how much we like... Um, Bodhi. Bodhi, is he's like, oh... We can call in attacks at other stations, too, where they're not happening. Right, because he's um, on the Imperial network. 
Right. And so he's like, hey, uh, whatever, like landing pad two, do this. And then he hands it to the other guys, like, tell them that there's an attack on landing pad five. Like, yeah, you know, and it's just like distracts them and stuff, uh, which I really, really, really like. It also is one of those great things about Star Wars technology, how in some ways is better than ours, in some ways is worse. It's like in our era, you would know where that communication's coming from. You'd be like, what are you talking about? You're at landing pad yeah. nine. Yeah. <laughs> like, but with theirs, I totally buy that in Star Wars. That's just not how it works. You know? right. And I also love the limitation of he couldn't talk to the rebels, right? He's keyed in to the Imperial network and he can't talk to the rebels. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, that's that's just like that. That's a problem for him. Right. And that's like part of the thing they're trying to fix. Uh, and I thought that was really great. Um, and I love Bodhi. I love the planet shield. Uh, it was totally reminiscent to me of the Battle of Coruscant in the um, expanded universe. Uh, that's exactly what I imagined Coruscant's planet shield being like, you know. Uh, and so having that planet shield with the singular gate, uh, it, it was just perfect to me. And the way they took it out, I loved it. Yeah. Because um, it, the space physics worked, right? Yeah, yeah. You that have, was the thing. Is like that hammerhead moment was great. You have me. this star destroyer that's not operational. If it was operational, you couldn't do that. Because the star destroyer would have its own thrusters. And it's so big, you would it would just counteract you right but it was completely down and so you just hit it now this also brings up another problem that's intrinsic to the whole star wars universe why do star destroyers hang out so close to each other it feels like a really bad idea Um, they did it in the original too (laughs) yeah no i'm i I, it's a consistently bad idea i think like there's a Um, point in empire where two star destroyers like scrape each other like you knew you were there like i get you were following the millennium falcon but these are big 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 things yeah uh also, though, the collision was beautiful, yeah. too. Like, just the way that the hammerhead, like, pushes the one into the other, and you just see it start tearing through the other one as it goes. It's like, wow, that's really pretty to watch. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, again, they take out the, the thing. Now, question, if they hadn't hit that ring, would it still have taken out the, the barrier? Like, I don't is the so. weight of Star Destroyers enough to, to take out the shield? You don't think I, so? I don't think shields abide by mass if that makes sense like i i don't think mass would be enough to get through a shield that big um because i assume it's it has some you know huge generators i think you have to take out the ring okay that makes sense um yeah i and i don't know i mean different versions of sci-fi handle this kind of thing differently where like it takes more energy to keep out you know more force and so on but yeah uh but i'm glad they they just decided to answer it by like oh no they hit the ring and we're good (laughs) um yeah, I, I like that a lot. The whole battle, how disjointed it was, was good. Uh, I liked the climbing scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit weird that uh, Cassian, Cassian's like apparent death and then non-death. Uh, I mean, it was super predictable. And I don't know. I was not convinced that he wouldn't have just gotten shot a second time afterwards when he was unconscious, you know? <laughs> I don't um, know why they didn't shoot him a second time. Only yeah, I, I was like... Double tap, people. Double tap. Ex- exactly. Uh, I really think um uh oh, oh, oh uh against k2 um the most accurate stormtrooper ever like there's a point where there's exactly one blaster shot and it hits k2 in the head but he's a droid 
So he turns around and shoots the yeah. <laughs> the, the door back. He's like, hey, sorry, you guys just lost your most accurate stormtrooper. Yeah. <laughs> like, I also um, appreciated the moment in the battle of hu- humanizing stormtroopers when they're just walking along the beach talking like, did you hear the K-whatevers have been discontinued? You know, like, yeah, yeah stormtroopers talk to each other. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Uh, it makes it feel more lived in. Which yeah. is a big thing that we've always, I think, people have always complimented Star Wars for making it feel like a lived-in universe, and this just makes it feel more so on the people side than just the, uh, you know, dirty stuff side. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I love the, the planet itself, the setting. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that d- I didn't really understand is, wait, why did the antenna have to be reset at the top of the thing? Reset to what? Like, Jin literally just sent it. Like, she, it's not like she yeah, had a destination to send it to. anyone. Like, she literally just, like, aimed it upwards and clicked Sen. And it's like, well, in that case, why couldn't the dish have just done it with the angle it was already at? I, 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 I That didn't make any sense to me other than to add the obligatory suspense and I have to almost fall off a railing at a really high height scene. Um, yeah. Uh, what's his... Uh, I, I'm so bad with names. Krennic. Uh, Krennic was... I, I don't know. I feel like that very ending scene with him wasn't super satisfying. Well, I also am not sure Krennic would do it himself. Like, I, I, I on the I, mean, one, I feel like at that point he's desperate. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like he didn't send enough people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, I like that it wasn't Jin and Cassian that killed him. It was his own government. <laughs> I appreciate that, <laughs> you know, because he's still alive up there and he gets blown up by his own creation. Like, there's kind of a poetic justice in yeah. that. Right. Um. But, yeah, I, I felt like there should have been some discussion between Krennic and Jen more about the fact that she is Galen's daughter. Like, you know, uh, I mean, that came up because he was like, who are you? You know, uh, but yeah, th- there was I mean, this kind of goes back to the character beats in this movie were, were slightly lacking. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um. So my last thing, and I've, I've intentionally avoided this because it's a criticism that there's not a lot of meat to. It's just a straight up, this is a thing that was not great to me, was how jumpy the beginning was and yeah. introducing us to like rapid fire planets. I, I mean, I remember thinking 15 minutes in, I was like, how many planets are in this movie? Like it, it was... Too it, many seconds. I, I mean, I was, I was joking in my head. I was like, Rogue One, all the planets. <laughs> Like, you know, and, and that's how I have, eventually that dies down and it's like, okay, cool. But it was a little bit too rapid fire and jarring. It reminds me a lot plan. of the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy because I have that same criticism where it's like, mm-hmm. we need to establish all these settings. You have 20 yeah. minutes, go, you know? So too much, too quickly. Uh, there didn't feel like there were transitions. Like you'd see a character say something and then you're on to the next scene. I was like, wait, what? what what's, what's going on? So really, really jarring. Uh, that could have done with some smoothing out. But uh, I, it's just, that's all to say about it. There's not much more, you know, there's not much more to that. Um, uh, I yeah. really like that Cassian and Jen did not kiss. Uh, mm-hmm. So you could read that as a romance if you want to. Or you could be like, these are two soldiers, brothers in arms who are about to die. Yeah, I, I like that they kind of leave it up. I don't think we're going to see all that much shipping in this when, you know, people have all the shipping they can do with the, uh, the new trilogy instead. Oh, <laughs> so. I'm sure we are. I already know people shipping, uh, uh, cheer it and his best friend. So, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, what's interesting, we went to see the movie with some people, uh, I know, and then some of their friends, right? So people I didn't know were also there. 
And uh, one of the other ladies came out of the theater and she was like, I just wanted them to kiss in the end. And uh, it, it made me appreciate that uh, there are a lot of people who still just want that from movies. <laughs> and that I am in the minority when I want people to not kiss. <laughs> I often so. want people to kiss, but I also want to be convinced that that's a thing that makes sense for those characters. Yeah. And in this case, I did not feel that. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, uh yeah, so but yeah, I, I get you. I, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like, "Why didn't they kiss at the end?" Um, but yeah, I appreciate uh, all the shout-outs to the um, the squadron members in the battle. Yes, uh, I think some of that's original footage from uh, A New Hope. I was reading an article about that um, because there's no reason when you have you know red leader standing by, it can't be the exact same footage from A New Hope. <laughs> Right. I uh, I actually read an article where they went to uh, Skywalker Ranch, the Rogue One directors, and they saw all of these uh, canisters, and they were like, "What is that?" And they were like, "Oh, that's Star Wars." <laughs> and they were like, "Has anyone gone through it all?" They were like, "No." <laughs> so I think they just took it and like took like these random scenes from A New Hope that hadn't been used, um, and yeah. some that obviously had. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I you know, Gold Leader was Gold Leader, like right. that was him. Uh, and obviously Red 5 had to die, though I felt like they kind of pulled that out too long to kind of be like, haha, see what we're doing? Red 5 had to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I, you know, I love space battles. Uh, uh, one thing, I liked how this battle was something that the Rebel Alliance was reluctantly dragged into. Like, parts of it were, rather. Like, their hand was forced. Mm -hmm. um, that our little team going to do this thing got uh one of the generals to be like you know what i'm going <laughs> yeah and i mean mon mothma and bale were obviously always behind it right like they, they but they couldn't it, but they couldn't yeah politically uh, they couldn't make the call because there wasn't enough agreement that said so. i need to talk about mon mothma and bale organa slightly more and that they have this whole conversation about obi-wan um and they say the word jedi out loud <laughs> and i was like you yeah. would not say the word jedi out loud right like even on a rebel base where, you know, there could be spies. There could be people who are just like, who knows? Like, Obi-Wan's existence is such a secret that I feel like you would, I mean, they don't say his name, but they do because say Because just your old friend. Right, like right? your friend. You know, wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe we need him. And, and I yeah. do like that the only, it's implied, the only reason they call Obi-Wan in is because of the existence of the Death Star. Because they feel like, I mean, it's very clear in that political meeting that this is the end. Right. Like people right. Are like the Death Star has been created. We can't fight anymore. Like that's the end. I'm not risking my planet for right. uh, this rebellion anymore. We give up. And, and I know they talk about surrender, but there would be no actual surrender. Right. It would just be you stop. Right. Because uh, there's yeah, you're not, not going to turn yourself in. Right. Like, there, I mean, it's like, oh, by the way, uh, uh, Empire, I was fighting against you and I'm not anymore. Right. Uh, <laughs> you can arrest me now. No, they're not going to do that. They're just going to be like, I stop, you know, yeah. and, and they don't believe Jen. Because, uh, you know, they, no one else has seen the message. Uh, and, of course, she's going to try to clear Galen Erso's name. She's his daughter. You know, like, it's not enough to go on. Which I also buy, politically, right? I'm not going to risk the lives of everyone against this super weapon that you say exists because there might be uh, a defect. Right. Yeah. Um, Scarif is a well-held planet and going against it, I think, is a bigger move than the Rebel Alliance has done up to this point. Right. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I also did really like the fact that, uh, you know, he doesn't tell uh, Mon Mothma who he's going to bring in to, to get him. 
He's like, I hope you trust, you know, trust this person. He's like, oh, I trust her with my life. He's like, ah, like, we all know who you're talking about. Because <laughs> it's his daughter. Uh, but as we already uh, talked about, the timing doesn't entirely make sense. Right. And I don't necessarily like that Leia was at the battle. That seems like a very... Uh, it's too much. It's it, it just seemed like a gutsy move. Like... To put Leia at a rebel battle, what happens when everyone gets captured? Like, Leia is supposed to be, like, her and Bale are this, like, veneer of respectability over the Rebel Alliance, right? Uh, right. And it's risking her life. Like, I almost feel like one pilot should have gotten out and, like, you know, somehow transmitted the message to Alderaan or something, you know? like. Speaking of pilots getting out, how frustrating was it when there's the crack in the door and the guy doesn't immediately throw it through? It's like, look, we all know you're going to put it through the crack in the door and tell them to take it. Just do that first. He, yeah. Like, that, like, was, that was super frustrating to me. The only thing I can rationalize is none of those guys know what they have. Right. Because I don't think everyone they don't know what they have but they know this was the mission i I assume they have to know it's for the mission and i was like the door is cracked just hand it to someone and then get them to help you darth vader is coming you are dead you are dead (laughs) yeah it's like you i mean you know because one of the things and it's it's such a trope of all you know visual you know tv movies that kind of stuff where things always get down to the very very last second yeah you know there was no reason that darth vader literally had to be walking at them like you know, feet away as the door closes and they launch. I also feel right? like it kind of diminished the the heroism and the sacrifice. And, and this may be weird, but like, no, you hand the thing over and then you fight as a distraction. And then you turn and fight to delay him. Yeah. And and so that way he's already, they're already gone by the time Vader gets through the door. Right. Like he Don't gets through that door the and then he goes down the hall and they are easier for Vader to get through. Yeah. So I, okay, we agree on that point. That's okay. a, it was a little bit weird, and it's because they wanted that last second getaway, right? So they're like, how do we delay this more? I was like, well, no, that's not what would be really, like, th- you know, these people are brave people. That's not what they should do in yeah. this context, you know? Um, and and uh, um, I mentioned this on Facebook, <laughs> but there was an appropriate way for this movie to end that it did not. And I really wanted it to cut at the end to, like, every war movie ever has ever done. Right. There's that scene at the end of every war movie where everyone dies, where it's like these soldiers sacrifice enabled, you know, the allies to to get victory in this other battle, which in the end enabled the allies to win the war. You know, like I wanted that. I wanted like, you know, Princess Leia was able to because of their sacrifice, Princess Leia was able to go on and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, and you know what else they could have done that just occurred to me because to tie your idea in is make it with the anthology movies, since presumably they're not going to have opening crawls, have closing crawls. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and you have a closing crawl that also, like, goes straight into the next Star Wars, in, in this case, straight into A New Hope, you right. know? Right. And, and yeah. it could even been, like, show us that the bad guys get justice. Like, don't assume we've seen all the other movies, right? Don't assume I know how World War II works. No, very few World War II movies assume I actually know anything about the Battle of Dunkirk, which is only on my mind because they showed a trailer for the new movie Dunkirk, right? Like, I don't know. You have to tell me. <laughs> I'm not a World War II buff, right? Like, assume this is a war movie. Tell me that Tarkin dies on the Death Star. Tell me that De- Darth Vader also dies on another Death Star. 
right? Tell me everyone gets their due in that ending scrawl like they always do at the end of war movies, you know? Right. I think they really could have done a good, like a really good, you know, here's a closing crawl and we throw in a couple of references where if you've seen the, you know, the original movies, you know exactly what it's talking about. But the same way where this movie was an expansion on those three sentences I read from the original movies opening crawl do the same thing where it's like basically summarize the next two or three movies like the significant points that have anything to do with this one in just like a really quick crawl you know yeah uh, yeah that would have been really satisfying it's not like a mistake necessarily but man that would have been an elevation of it, it would have been satisfying uh, so that reminds me of so one final major disappointment was the soundtrack to me yeah like I, just totally forgettable i feel like I, um i feel yeah. like that's part of the reason why we didn't cry yeah the soundtrack didn't sell it (laughs) that we were supposed to be sad right like if you go back and you watch the return of the jedi and you watch the scenes between the emperor and darth vader and luke the soundtrack sells the emotion of those scenes it's the soundtrack uh it's it's certainly not the dialogue that's like you know the emperor cackling I, i don't you know uh and they just didn't do it in this movie that the soundtrack just wasn't there yeah so um and it, it's frustrating too because it's not even the person who was doing like uh the guy who did the soundtrack to this mike i can never i don't know how to say his name michael giacchino or something sure. he's the guy who does the music to like most of the pixar movies oh. like he can do really really good soundtracks like things that i mean i sit there i do i run a lot and i do disney races so i go to disney world for those now and like i sit there and i'll be running and then you know music from ratatouille will start playing and i get these like really fond feelings washing over me as i as i'm running because like those are really memorable themes and he just it's weird because it's like he sort of did brief reprises from john williams but then like and would like change them a little bit but just no i can't none of the music really evoked anything in me except for sometimes where i was like oh that's not how it's supposed to go the, the only <laughs> yeah. one that did is when they first showed Bail Organa in that short scene before he really had any lines and they played the the theme, you know, I, I don't know what it's called, but it's like the da 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They played that as they showed him and I was like, oh, my emotions, you know, uh, that was it. But that's not really a new piece. Either, no, it's right? not new, the- but it was a well use of the overall theme in that moment. But yeah, I, Jen didn't have an iconic theme. Um, it, it 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 was almost um, Marvel movie esque in that some yeah. of the themes in Marvel movies fall flat, right? So, and I would say I think maybe we talked about this before, but with um, Episode Seven, I feel like was the first soundtrack that maybe wasn't extremely great. Like even the prequels had amazing soundtracks. I feel like yeah. Um, the Episode Sevens was a little bit less impressive, but still good. This is the first Star Wars soundtrack that was just completely underwhelming to me. I I feel Um, like the problem with episode seven is they just didn't try to add new songs as much as they should have. Right. Um, They played too much on the old songs. uh, Whereas in episodes one, two, and three, they were not afraid to create. It was a whole bunch of new and it was all, most, almost all of it was great. great. Even Anakin and, and Padme's love theme was amazing. Oh yeah. I I don't buy their love story, but the soundtrack is amazing. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, the the music in this, it, it didn't sell it. So we need to start wrapping up. Um, I want to ask, how do you feel? Because I was, or, or, or how did you initially feel? And how do you feel now about the anthology films being essentially what the future of Star Wars is once this trilogy finishes? Like, how do you feel about them being part of the Star Wars franchise? Well, I have two feelings. 
Okay. I love it. And I'm terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Because what I want is more stuff like Rogue One. What we're going to get is the Han Solo movie. Now, that said, I'm excited about the casting of Lando. And I almost wish they'd just give us a Lando movie (laughs) with maybe like a Han Solo cameo. That's, I feel like that would be much more appropriate. I, I feel like I feel like we have enough Han Solo. Uh, let's not demystify him more than he needs to be demystified. <laughs> um, whereas Lando, we barely know anything about uh, and really have very little reason even for his turnabout between Empire and Return of the Jedi. And a movie set between those two where Lando is struggling with his betrayal and how, though, it kind of worked out that he ended up on the side of the rebellion, but he betrayed his best friend. Like, that's the movie I want to see. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, and that's a character who is minor enough that expanding upon him is a great idea. What I do not want to see is a Boba Fett movie by any stretch of the imagination. Every I time- really don't want any background movies to any of the characters that we know, like Lando, I guess would be one of the exceptions, especially as a you know person of color. But yeah, Boba Fett. It's just not exciting. No, it's not. Every time they expand upon Boba Fett, it just makes me more depressed. So I, I think Rogue One is what anthology movies should be. They should be yeah. random occurrences that happen within the movies about characters we don't know that bring in characters we do know, like Bail Organa and Mon Mothma, but they are not the main characters. I think that if there is any way that they could ever truly salvage the prequel trilogy, it's with these. It's with anthology films. Like, that's fair. Um, now, that said, I don't necessarily think I want an anthology film with Anakin in it. <laughs> But that was, of course, I mean, we've spoken about this before. The main failure of the prequel trilogy was that this entire thing is the story is basically the fall of Darth Vader, right? Right. Or the fall of Anakin Skywalker. Right. And they just never made that fall compelling. Like they, they just, the story itself is like the overall plot arc is compelling, but they never made us feel it, you know? And it's like, if you could somehow make anthologies be like, oh, that's why X, Y, and Z were read into this and suddenly, but I don't know that they could do it. Yeah, You know what I do want to see that is a major character movie? Mm-hmm. I want to see an Obi-Wan movie. Oh, Obi-Wan, that would be good. Obi-Wan, bored out of his mind on Tatooine. You know, like, that's how the movie starts. Obi-Wan, kicking dust, like, what am I doing with my life? You know, that's a good <laughs> point, actually. So I, I should say, it's not that I don't want elaboration of characters. It's that the only background characters that I feel like we we should have anthology movies for are characters who we did get to know enough to realize that they are a compelling character. Like we already know they have a real character to them, but we didn't spend much time at much actual time with them. Right. Like we don't know why they were where they were and so on. Boba Fett doesn't fit that. Like if you really just take it as you know, what we see from the original trilogy, he's not really a character. He's more there. Like it is the absence of character that makes him compelling. And then they right? added too much character in the prequels. Right. Whereas Lando, no, 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 we like him, you know? And so it was like, well, why is he the way he is? <laughs> uh, you know, but like, we do know just enough of Lando as a person, not his background and stuff, but we like know how he acts and behaves right. enough to be like, oh, he himself is compelling as a character. Tell us more. Well, Where it was, Han you know? Solo had a satisfying story. I don't right. need more story. We don't need more on Luke, on Han, on Leia. Like, we, we don't, we don't even necessarily, well, how would you feel about Chewie? I would be okay with it if not for the fact that Chewie was in the prequels and that kind of soured me. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, but and and actually, you know, I say this, and I'm probably like the number one prequels apologist, you know. Uh, but that is a fact. You know, there's just some things that I'm like the prequels tried and they failed, 
And, you know, unless they're going to give me a movie where Padme faked her death and she's actually still alive, I don't care. Now, that movie I would pay to see. (laughs) Uh, Padme faked her death. She's secretly alive and doing stuff, you know? That would be fantastic. And that's why Princess Leia remembers her real mother. But that's still why she died when Princess Leia was young. Because for like the five years between her quote unquote death and her real death, you know, maybe she visits Princess Leia. Maybe she's working undercover and only Bale knows. I would love that. That would be amazing. Are you listening to me, Kathleen Kennedy? We want Uh, a Padme movie. (laughs) So final note, I guess, on this whole thing. How do you feel about Kathleen Kennedy right now? I, I'm feeling good. Um, you know, I this this movie passed the Bechdel test, which doesn't happen often in Star Wars movies. <laughs> that said, there's no reason why more of the background fighters couldn't have been women. And uh, but I really appreciated the effort to have people of color in this movie um, because everyone except for like Jen is a person of color in the in the rebels. I mean, right. Uh, um and, uh, you know, e- even Bale is Hispanic, uh, the actor, which uh, I've always loved that kind of, you know, uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's it's great. And uh, I'm feeling good. As I said, I think this might be my second favorite Star Wars movie, which, you know, is partly because I just really like sad endings. <laughs> that, that said, you know, Return of the Jedi, um, while not a perfect movie gets a lot of extra bonus points for being the end of the trilogy. It it earns a lot of things that the movie itself doesn't earn, that the trilogy earned, right? If that makes sense. Um, that Return of the Jedi doesn't work as a standalone movie, but it works amazingly as the, the end of a trilogy. So that's the only reason why I think Return might be higher than this movie. But uh, that's right. You heard me. A New Hope <laughs> is not as amazing as everyone says it is. But... Uh, I still love it. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, obviously, I think the characterization needed it needed work. Um, it, it needed a boost, but I think uh, it worked more than it didn't. Yeah. Your cool. final thoughts, closing thoughts, Mike? Uh, I mean, I I thought it was great. I'm excited about the anthology movies to come. I wish we could skip the the upcoming one i was about to say the harrison ford one but that's <laughs> but the because uh, they're just he's so intertwined with that character it's gonna be weird to see somebody else play it but yeah. um uh but i i am interested to see what else they do in the anthology especially with the upcoming trilogy ends mm-hmm. um because it's like well are we going to start more trilogies or are they just all going to be anthology films from that point on um i am interested to see how that works and i really really like that the anthology gives them the opening to revisit pieces like this, significant events that the characters we know and love were not a part of. Um, I am looking forward to more. I am happy with this movie. Uh, I do intend to see it again. I probably won't be able to see it again in the theater. But um, yeah, I, I it's good to generally feel like, hey, we've gotten two good Star Wars movies in a row. Um, and yeah. I'm anticipating a third good one in a row next year. Too. I, I think this was by far better than The Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it holds together better than The Force Awakens does. Granted, The Force Awakens can be fixed by the next movie easily. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, and there's also the fact that uh, I think that it was nice for this because this is a movie that got to come out after people already like Star Wars again. Yeah, you know. Whereas The Force Awakens had a whole bunch of baggage involved with how do we get people to like remember the original trilogy and not the prequels? You know, um, this did not have to do that. Right. Uh, so, oh, uh, yeah. Before we close, yes, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, if you're listening, uh, I would like a TV show, CSI Corellia. Um, yeah, I really want that cop show on Corellia, starring Corn Horn. Make it happen. 
Let's do it. Disney. Disney, you do this with Marvel. We're waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cool. Well, uh, on that note, uh, you can follow the, or you can check out the podcast website at uh, TriviallyCrucial.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at TrivCrucial. You can follow Mandy on Twitter at Brown underscore Aja, which is A-J-A-H. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ahim, which is A-U-H-I-M. Till next time. Bye.